Hang on, Mr. Douglas. Yeah. All right there, everybody. What's going on? It's a pleasure to be with you here, all of you individuating, awakening, experiential sunbeams of wonder. Here we are, hanging with Mr. Douglas, me, once again. <laughs> Thrilled to be here with you as always. Today we are getting into it. I know I always say it. Now we're going to do it. This episode is all about the interesting bits of info in Ingo Swan's Psychic Sexuality. Yeah, you talk about it like a lot. I just reference this sucker all the time. I figure, all right, let's go. Let's get into it. Yeah. Because this book also is so much more than what its title immediately presents itself as. Sexuality, however, or the vital energy underlying the experience of the awareness of sexuality, that primal force in us all, that is a through line throughout the book. The book, however, also does a great job of giving us a kind of the history of the study of psi and its relational phenomena. This book actually goes into uh, a nice bit of depth. Whoa, all right, deep down the ingo info. Discussing the history of how modern man has engaged with studying this information in all seriousness. Uh, and, and just the book drops awesome information throughout. And so I went through it and pulled a whole bunch <laughs> and, and want to reference it, want to talk about it, want to bring it to your attention. Because as this show is all about expanding awareness to finding, walking, and refining our own paths up to the mountaintop, Ingo Swan yet again provides a wonderful, detailed, unfolding flapper of a map when it comes to wading into this new area when it comes to under-acknowledged and under-explored innate aspects within ourselves as a species. Ingo Swan brings the five-course meals, and we are here for the full dinner experience. This is the episode where we get into Ingo Swan's book, Psychic Sexuality. Sounds like this episode's gonna be a doozy. I'm here for it. As always, thank you for hanging. Let's roll. start from a, a quote from pages 16 and 17 that kind of summarizes the initial window into which we will take our trajectory through this information. Ingo says, quote, more simply put, perhaps sexual behavior is the result of some definitely self-animating, self-vibrating energies, and whatever vibrates certainly will resonate upon other organisms possessing the necessary receptor systems. On definitional grounds alone, it is possible to theorize that sexual activity consists of resonating vibrations that can be sensed by other organisms, and that those organisms will demonstrate some kind of energetic reacting. None of this can be allocated to or explained by body or mind alone, or by any mix of body-mind. 
Any explanation of organismic activity requires the inclusion of an energetic principle between body and mind, a concept that links the two into an animate organism. Unquote. And so there we are, those of you who have been along for this ride since our days discussing uh, Volume 1 of Ingo Swan's Secrets of Power. Here he is referencing yet again those. Anybody's going to be able to pick up what you're laying down because we are pre-built with sensing systems to do so, and that this information that we're picking up on is the kind of ubiquitous life force, that vitalism out there in which we all have access to and are a part of. Anyway. Wow. Oh, man, this is, this is a lot. I, mean, I, I got it. it. I get it. Wrong. 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 I followed you, but like, uh... We go on. <laughs> Unfolding this fantastic tome of information. I'm with you, partner. I think it'll all get clearer as we go along. Yeah, yeah, that makes uh, sense. Okay. You know, I trust this dude. <laughs> Where Ingo brings our attention to earlier societies and how they were actually aware of all this kind of stuff. Awareness of invisible energies, uh, different sexual formats, which were often ritualized. If you consider uh, histories of the Greek and Roman empires or, or civilizations and how... They, for certain celebrations of certain gods or goddesses, would practice a kind of uh, uh, ritual expression of sex. Different sexual formats, often ritualized. Uh, Oracle of Delphi, religious prostitutes, which is a you know, weird form of thinking about it because, as we will see as we go on through this, in, this, this book, uh, the uh, tapping into that force that is most readily expressed and utilized by our uh, vital, uh, invigorating, life-creating systems uh, has a, like a, a direct tie-in to higher-functioning psychic expressions and abilities. You see this kind of stuff pop up in the magical communities. I mean, it's, it's very interesting. You know, one of the things that uh, I've been listening to the Higher Side Chats for quite some time, uh, Greg Carlwood, fantastic host, uh, brings up a lot of uh, uh, interesting and differing perspectives within the uh, modern magical community and those studying and discussing and uh, investigating information adjacent to it. And most often, and that is most often, like we're talking a lot of the time, uh, the secret of secrets, no matter where you look, ends up being tied in somehow with tapping into the energies of this vital force our sexual energies in one way or another. So anyway, ancient civilizations knew all about this stuff, and this information seems to be everywhere when it comes to, uh, you know, secret societies and uh, doing, you know, occult powers and all kinds of cool stuff like that. Uh, uh, here he has uh, becoming aware of connections of apparent sexualizing energies with higher powers of mind, as I was saying previously. Tapping into psi phenomena has a direct correlation with tapping into those wellsprings of energy and using erotic methods to enhance creative and psychic capacities uh, also is something that earlier societies were aware of. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm still with um, you. Um, like... I know that it's fitting together. You guys, no, you guys, I think I got it. I, I'm pretty sure. Like, okay, way back when human beings, we kind of, we knew what was up when it came to sex and stuff. Like, it's so much more than what we're told. And you can even use it to, like, 
psychedelic steaks and stuff. Really cool stuff. Through sex. Okay, okay. Sure. And the ancients knew that this thing you were accessing, we all were a part of, and like we all access to together, like automatically. Okay, okay, okay. Anyone to say anything? Cause like I think I got it. I think I think. Yeah. It's coming together. No, what did I tell you? Let's keep riding on. Yeah, no, this is great. I'm into it. And so here we are in the modern world, thinking ourselves of this kind of dualistic split, but that's not quite where earlier societies were at. They had, instead of a, a, a dualistic kind of split, they had a triumvirate, <clears throat> trident, triangle, triplicate, trirune, triune, other examples of three. <laughs> they had an, uh, a different understanding, a uh, not two, but three-pronged approach to seeing the whole system, not simply as yin and yang, not simply as cause and effect, not simply as body and mind, but body, influence, and mind. Cause, influence, and effect. Body, energy, mind. You know, what people are discussing now, uh, this, this energy uh, could be consciousness, this energy could be the ether, you know, these are all, you know, kind of interchangeable fluids in my mind. But we're all talking around about the same thing, which is this, the false, you know, the baseline thing that is tied uh, into its most ready understanding and expression, again, through our uh, uh, sexualizing experiences and energies. But again, it is uh, not just cause and effect, it's cause, influence, and effect. It's not just body-mind, it's body, energy, mind. And you know, of course, it being an Ingo Swan book, he's going to go into some definitions. It's definition time. Ingo now is uh, going to help us along this windy road where we get to get into the word influence. It's a verb, to influence, defined as uh, to affect or alter by indirect or intangible means. That's interesting. That uh, sounds like any kind of remote sensing or impressing upon a space remotely with uh, your subtle senses. Psychokinesis, telekinesis. To have an effect on the condition or development of something. Also to sway. More modern definitions of... Magic are to influence a situation to your benefit, to sway the odds in your favor, to use all the tools at your disposal to lean on the scale in the direction that would assist you most. Whether that's you doing it for your lower self or your higher self, well, that's up to you. But so, interesting, that is uh, our exposure to the definition of the word influence definitely is tying itself right in to... Uh, how my hope is at the end of this uh, tranche through Ingo Swan's psychic sexuality, we begin to have a much clearer and defined map for us all to begin to move forward to say, okay, well, now that we have an understanding of baseline how all this stuff works, we'll have a much better way to then engage with the layer two of how this baseline energy that we all have innate access to, 
and capacity to use? How can we go about engaging with it, nurturing it, and having it unfold in its own specific ways that we resonate with most? That's my goal here. Next steps. You know, we talked about in previous episodes interesting ways in which this kind of baseline energy bubbles up and some people have been able to utilize it. What through either energy healing with uh, William Bengston or through energy work with Robert Bruce. Just two of the myriad expressions of what we all have innate access to. I mean, it's weird to think about, you know, you just every day just going to get in the car and oh, red light. Oh, that person is slow. It's the morning. Where are they going to? Wait a minute. We're all psychic. We all have the ability to actually heal ourselves, manifest some cool experiences and shit for each other. We're all these complex, amazing mind energy structures that can create thought forms and energy balls, fill our energy body with light, do all this other, I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> but wait, I gotta get to work. So yes, this is uh, definitely outside the norm of, uh, you know, I just finished that project, now it's time for lunch. Hey, let me uh, cycle um, energy through my three dantians real quick before I purchase that salad. <laughs> I get it, it's crazy, but I think the more we can get into it, any which way that we find ourselves being exposed to it, the better it is for us all. More awareness, more options. More options, more awesomeness. More awesomeness, better times, better times. We're not going to blow ourselves up, maybe, you know, and we can get to some like really cool solar punk expressions of decentralized civilization kicking ass. But right, so influence <laughs> can also be looked at as a noun and influence taken from the ancient Latin influere to flow in an ethereal fluid thought to flow from the cosmos and stars and to affect the actions of men of people, an emanation of hidden intangible power held to derive from non-tangible sources, the act or power of producing an effect without apparent exertion of force or direct exercise of command, the power or capacity of causing an effect in indirect or intangible ways, the definitions of influence. Ah, we finally got there. Ooh, it's all right. I mean, I'm here for it. <laughs> it's took Take a while. It's good that we're here. I mean, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it, but... Whew. Right, well, now that we're all here, all of this that I have oh so generously expounded upon in this early portion of this work uh, has been called by many names, but we get it. It's the life principle. It's the anima, the soul, the spirit, consciousness, aether, ether, orgone, ode, or odic. I mean, the list is endless. And it, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go through it again as we continue on. But anyway... This influence was considered by Jean Baptista van Helmont, uh, who lived from 1577 to 1644. He was a Flemish physician, um, and he was—he basically—he he considered this whole thing uh, to be a kind of magnetism of the human species, uh, which was held within the vital fluids. Uh, apparently, also just as a bit of uh, trivia, he did discover carbon dioxide and is credited with introducing the term gas, surprisingly, uh, into present scientific sense. No longer was it reserved for those discussing farts among friends and family. Now gas 
was going to be used in science. Yeah, yeah. Finally, we get to use the gas. Kids will be right upset. Right, they'll never use it now because it's science, right? <laughs> exactly, that's it. Silly children. Talk about chemistry now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Van Helmont, uh, you know, he attributed physiological changes to chemical causes, uh, though many modern researchers regard his observations uh, colored by his speculative mysticism. In other words, he was into it before, you know, it was cool. Helmont was a proponent of magnetism and the sympathetic system. Uh, from page 40, he wrote, Material nature draws her forms through constant magnetism from above and impours them for the favor of heaven. And as heaven, in like manner, draws something invisible from below, there is established a free and mutual intercourse, and the whole is contained in an individual. Definitely echoing those as above, so below moments. Definitely uh, resonating with this idea that we are an interchange, uh, and that when two things come together, a third thing is created. There is this interplay between these two things, this energy between body and mind, and this whole is contained in an individual. I dig it. He also wrote, uh, quote, I have hitherto, yeah, let's do it with a British accent just because why not? He also wrote, quote, I have hitherto avoided revealing the great secret that the strength of the vital fluid lies concealed in man and that merely through the suggestion and power of the imagination to work outwardly and to impress this strength on others, which then continues of itself and powerates on the remotest objects." Unquote. And in spite of uh, the cartoonish British accent we just heard him speak through there, that quote is awesome because here he is saying, hey, uh, uh, simply by imagination and suggestion, this power works outwardly. It can impress its strength on others and can continue on of its own self and can affect remote objects. Again, this was a dude who was writing in the late 1500s, right? Chilling, 1599, being like, yo. People can, like, do stuff to other people remotely with their magnetism powers. That's pretty cool. I like it. I agree with Van Helmont. I'm right there with you, Van Helmont. Uh, he also said that by certain manipulations of the vital fluid during the ecstasy of the inner magnetic man, quote, men may kill animals merely by staring at them for a quarter of an hour, unquote. Merely by staring at them for a quarter of an hour. Men who stare at goats, anyone? And okay, so here we go. Now on to Robert Flood. Late 1500s, 1574 to 1637, Robert Flood was kicking, and he studied the works uh, of magnetics and uh, was big into the whole microcosmic, macrocosmic, as above, so below situation uh, of sympathetic systems. He argued that not only were these emanations able to cure bodily diseases, they also affected the moral sentiments. If radiations from two individuals were, upon meeting, flung back or distorted, negative magnetism or antipathy resulted. Whereas if the radiations from each person passed freely into those from the other, 
The result was positive magnetism of sympathy. Ingo does a really cool thing and sums this up nicely as radiations of repulsion or of attraction. You know, good vibes, bad vibes. We all sense it already. The acknowledgement of the legitimacy of these good and bad vibes varies depending on the individual and uh, how aware of all this good stuff they may or may not be. Now, moving on, we get to discuss a, a dude with just a very cool name, Baron Karl von Reichenbach, who was around from 1788 to 1869. He did experiments putting people in a dark room with either a crystal, a piece of metal, certain chemicals, or another person. The idea was to see if they could see or sense what he called Ode, or the Odic energy. Makes you wonder where the term odd came from, doesn't it? Yes. Also, if you imagine that as, uh, you know, you the unwitting experimentee coming to work that day, it's like, How, what are we doing today, boss? What, uh, what, what kind of experiment You'll are you? will be in this box, in the complete dark, and you will have to what, what? use your senses to discover whether or not another person is in there. You're both completely naked, by the way. We're if oh. you and another person is in there, or if it's just a crystal, huh? or maybe a stuffed animal, maybe I put a, a carrot or another kind of vegetable, it'll be up to you to figure it out for yourself. In the dark completely. Oh, shit. Could be another person in there. There's a word for this. I don't know if it's been created yet, but I, I don't feel even. I feel... Hmm. That to me is how the word odd was created. Anyway, these experiments consisted of over 200 people, so I guess, I mean, word spread in the town. So, are you, what are you doing tomorrow, Hans? I've got no plans. I've got this crazy thing. This guy is running some crazy experiments. He'll pay you for it. Oh, yeah? <laughs> so, 200 people from all walks of life uh, apparently demonstrated some kind of sensitivity. Ah, uh, it's not a crystal. There were specific reactions to the proximity of other people in the form of feelings of pleasant coolness, drowsiness, disagreeable or numbing or exciting feelings. That's pretty interesting. There's some consistency with reporting the left hand and right hand polarity and affecting reactions to other people sitting on either the left or right side. Now, there also was demonstrated sympathy uh, of people to the color blue, antipathy with yellow. Uh, apparently, foot fetishes were quantified a little bit as well as sensitivity to certain metals, and an unpleasantness associated with mirrors. Huh, yeah, we were getting into some crazy shit. Interesting, Van Reichenbach. Uh, also, uh, more interesting information from these experiments. Apparently, uh, various substances radiating the odic force were perceived via vague or strong feelings of heat or cold. Sensitives, or you know, people who uh, could really pick up on, on this stuff, uh, were reporting sensing or perceiving uh, the uh, odic force as a kind of odic light, described as a clear flame or uh, some kind of definite color issuing from metals, crystals, chemicals, uh, poles of magnets. The naked dude over there in the corner is like, yeah, no, I can sense him. Yeah, no, he's got, he's got the flames coming off. Oh, it's pretty clear he's naked. <laughs> uh, this odic force could also be seen issuing from the main parts of the human body. Yeah, no, his, his penis is on fire. Yeah, I, no, it's there. He's over in the corner, I'm telling you. Gary, Gary, move around if you're on the corner. Okay, now he's moving, he's moving closer to me. Okay, that's enough, Gary. Gary, that's enough. Okay, okay, we're good. Odic force could be sensed uh, or seen from the fingertips, the mouth, hands, forehead, feet, and genitalia. 
It could also be seen surrounding the entire body, uh, you know, kind of enveloping the entire space of the body as a mist or smoke. The force could be conducted to distances by all solid and liquid bodies. I guess it could be moved from one place to another by all solid and liquid bodies. That's interesting. Uh, the bodies, however, could be charged with greater or lesser amounts of ode at given times. This is get your daily dose. Get your daily dose of ode, kids. I love my cereal with ode. Uh, but the ode or odd. I'm saying ode because it's only O and D, not O-D-D. I mean, you know, maybe I'm uh, mispronouncing it. This entire time. Anyway, uh, ode was apparently transferred from one body to another by contact with inorganic crystalline and metallic substances, uh, physical touching of organic bodies as well. However, mere proximity without contact was sufficient to produce influencing charges between bodies. It just, you know, consider every uh, crowded public place, whether it's a grocery store line or the subway. Uh, and, you know, we don't have to be touching. It could be, the, you know, just traffic. Ode is real, okay? And this smoky mist is everywhere emanating from us and interacting with us and each other. And here we go. Uh, Reichenbach noted that the odic tension, the charge, as in a battery, varied during the day, uh, diminished with hunger, increased after a meal, diminished at sunset, increased before and during daybreak. This is all pages 54 and 55, if anybody's following along in the book. Uh, and then Reichenbach also said the odic force was some kind of material something. Well, here, let's, uh, let's do it, uh, let's do it German style. Reichenbach also, I said, also, you know, this odic force, it's some kind of material something. It's, it's something there. It could be, it could be affected by your breath or an air current. Also, apparently, occasionally, Reichenbach had to deal with erotic manifestations in the presence of strong odic force. These brought disturbing physical effects to his sensitives and sometimes to himself. In other words, this odic force would absolutely pass through uh, energetic sexual pathways. Some sensitives could tell when males were horny by special features of the odic energies and magno magnetic auras. Huh, what? Um, that's no, I'm, uh, I'm fine. Everything's... <sighs> Some females apparently refuse to work within proximity of these horny males due to the disturbing nature of their odic energies. Males, on the other hand, never minded the female energy and seemed to enjoy their presence. Interesting information that Reichenbach uh, was able to glean. And this was back in the uh, late 1700s, really, you know, uh, early to mid 1800s. Reichenbach was uh, getting into it. But I mean, hey, look, that was a little while ago. Okay, we're here now in 2023. And now moving through time. We get the, uh, little bit longer than the popularity of ska music, the era of spiritualism in the States and a little bit in England, uh, which definitely made an impact in the USA from 1845 to 1932, and it was really hitting hard at that point in time. Ingo tells us there are two ways to remember spiritualism, quote, the simple way and the complicated way. The simple way identifies it as a belief involving spirits and departed souls who, via a living medium, provide compelling evidence of their continuing existence and give messages to those yet living. However, had conversations with the departed been all that there was to spiritualism, then it's unlikely it would have obtained the enormous and long-term celebrity it did. 
It's therefore quite clear that other exceedingly dramatic phenomena associated with spiritualism triggered its high profile. To itemize but a few examples, Ingo says, movement of objects without contact, vibratory effects, increases in weight. I swear I didn't eat that whole pie at all, I swear. Levitations of the human body. Materialization and dematerialization. I'm over here. I'm over here. This is crazy. No one's going to believe you. It's the 1800s. Biological phenomena. I'm influencing the growth of plants uh, by vital bodily emanations or by other unknown means. Chemical phenomena. Unexplainable lights, perfumes, catalytic action, production of water, production of photographs of invisible energies. Perceptions of auras, energy fields, energy flows or streams, clairvoyance in all its variegated forms, a long list of various kinds of magnetic and biomagnetic phenomena, a long list of energetic phenomena transferred across spaces, around impediments, and through material obstruction. Uh, that all is from pages 68 to 69. But wild, I mean, they were getting into it during the spiritualism phase in the late 1800s in America. Ingo says at about 1858, researchers began to recognize that the human organism was somehow bound up with a force that operated beyond the periphery of the physical body and yet had impact on physical matter. Scientists pushed back hard and balked at the idea that there was anything outside of the skin doing anything to us or coming from us at all. Of course, 150 years later, we found bioelectromagnetic fields all around us coming from us and affecting us. So, boo-hoo, scientists. It's real. Of the many sensations associated with psychic force, four, Ingo tells us, were reported by a Dr. Crooks in a July 1871 issue of Quarterly Journal of Science. One, a sensation of cool breezes, generally over the hands which is awesome because in our last episode, we discussed at length Robert Bruce's description of what energy work feels like. This, in fact, was one of his specific descriptions. It feels like a cool breeze over the hands. Wow. 1871. Awesome. Two, a sensation of light tingling in the palm of the hands and at the tips of the fingers or near the mounts. Also mentioned by Robert Bruce. Three, sensation of a sort of current of energy through the body. We are three for three, folks. And number four, the sensation of a spider's web in contact with the hands. Four out of four dentists agree energy work is legit. We are a power species. But uh, the sensation of a spider's web in contact with the hands, feet, and other parts of the body, notably the back and the loins. Loins, a Victorian code for genitals, which is a more anatomical term for sexy bits. The passing through of the current is feeble, but the interruption of it is easily felt. Nice. Thank you, Dr. Crooks. But then, and this is, uh, I really appreciate Ingo dropping this here to keep the scales level. Let us always remember, he says, that there were plenty of fakes and charlatans during this time as well. Get your snake oil. Oh, what's it do? Yeah, I don't, it's snake oil. I don't know. One distinction that separated the real medium from the fake ones, Ingo tells us, had to do with the energy sensations felt by those attending the seances. Such energy sensations could become quite powerful regarding the real mediums 
but were generally absent in the presence of the fakes, no matter how dramatic was the trickery otherwise. Unquote. In Wilhelm Reich's book Character Analysis, uh, published in 1933, he writes that, quote, bioenergy, which normally travels through the body in a specific circuit, gets trapped wherever muscles are tight, unquote. And he goes on to explain that this kind of situation of chronic inhibits and reduces the body's bioenergy flows. It affects the immune system, leads to sickness and other dysfunctional discomforts, uh, often ending up in debilitating neuroses. Discomforts, you know, just being generally uncomfortable, being an uncomfortable person. And according to Reich, the orgone energy, which, you know, another name for the false, for uh, ode, odic energy, the ethereal energy, that universal energy. This orgone energy naturally occurring in the human being could be collected and intensified. Metal reflected the energy and organic material absorbed it. So he made a box with metal on the inside and organic metal on the outside, with a hole on the top to see orgone energy accumulate. This energy was observed as two kinds of light or luminescence, bluish moving vapors, and sharper yellowish points and lines that flickered. This from page 85 and 86. Ingo gives us two interesting, oversimplified, but relevant points. This information leads us to consider that organisms rich and or suffused with this orgone energy were highly disease-resistant. Organisms, and this is number two, weakly suffused or lacking an orgone energy could be brought back to a more healthy state by being exposed to accumulated infusions of this orgone energy. And I'm pretty sure I mentioned it before, but uh, Wilhelm Reich, fascinating dude, talked about this stuff a lot. Uh, he, his work was burned by the FBI and he died in prison. Uh, because he talked about stuff like this. You know, let's be honest. So I think it has some weight and worth considering, uh, especially because it does resonate with all this other information that we are exposing ourselves to. Wilhelm Reich. Awesome. Thank you, Ingo, for citing him. Moving on, another quote from page 94 to 95. Quote, This is the same as saying that knowledge of invisible sexualizing energies must be suppressed since they point in the direction of opening up knowledge of other invisible energies, such as telepathy, clairvoyance, psychokinesis, and so forth. All of those items are closely related to energetic powers, and as such, the central key to their development would consist of more complete knowledge of human energetics overall, and which knowledge would include information about sexual energetics. As it turns out, though, and rather comically, the suppression of human energetics cannot, at the individual level, also entirely suppress the universal experiencing of sexualizing energetics. But dumbed-down information about the particular kind of energetics can be achieved by social conditioning that directs focus not on the formative and vitalistic sexual energies, but rather misdirects focus upon sexual behavior, the genitalia, and various moralistic containment policies. If you do that, your palms will be covered in hair. Thus, to the degree this misdirecting, dumb-them-down attitude is accepted and reinforced, the farther away is any real cognizance of not only sexual energetics, but the whole of human energetics as well. Unquote. 
Also, quoted from page 96, Ingo says, any individual who can perceive a whole lot also would become enabled to know a whole lot, unquote. More awareness, more options, more options, more awesomeness. <laughs> and now Ingo gives us this nice kind of uh, top-down perspective, hopping and skipping throughout our early history of Psy. Ingo says, quote, If we return briefly to the five centuries of various kinds of energetic research, one of the more remarkable aspects was that many observers stated that they could not only sense the energies but literally see them as well. Those who merely felt the energies described them much as any person would who experiences them as invisible charges, heat, stimulations in various body parts, especially in the region of the loins, and as having horny or disturbed repercussions. The seers of energy, however, described them as consisting of rays, protrusions, extensions, Fluid-like circulating fields are entirely consistent with many descriptions of the auras surrounding and interpenetrating the physical corpus, and the real existence of which has been acknowledged since earliest recorded antiquity, from pages 98-99. And we are going to call it there. For this, as it is turning into a multi-part exploration, so... Oh, come on, you're stopping there! Right there! Oh, we're just getting into a flow! Yeah, this is great! When's the next one? All in due time, everybody. All in due time. Yeah. End of part one <laughs> for uh, the exploration, which is going to be multi-parted, uh, into... Ingo Swan's book, Psychic Sexuality. Become ever more deeper, stronger, and wider to your perceiving. More awareness, more knowledge, more knowledge, more options, more options, more awesomeness. Thanks for hanging. And more power to you. Come on back next time for round two.